Let's get our Bibles out, our phones, whatever, and we're just going to pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being in this place. We can feel your presence so near to us. And tonight, we just believe that you're going to do something special tonight. I just believe that you're going to do something unique in every person's life here. And so we just speak that out right now. We come with expectation. We know that when your word is preached in a, in a moment like this, that all bets are off. Anything can happen. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small that you can do whatever you want. Rearrange the pieces in our hearts right now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series called Exposing the Lies. How many of you guys believe that Satan's a liar? <laughs> he's the father of lies. Uh, he's a deceiver. That's what he does. That's what we've been spending several weeks talking about, about exposing the lie. But I've got a question for you tonight. Uh, here's a question. What if Satan were telling the truth? What, what if there's some areas of your life that Satan was actually telling the truth about? What if he's not lying, but what if he was actually saying the right thing? What do you do if Satan is telling the truth? How many of you guys have ever been in a situation where you've been accidentally, quote unquote, eavesdropping on someone else's conversation? Anybody? You just like, you're sitting at some place and you're just, you just happen to be in proximity. How many of you guys have been there before? And you just are acting like, how many of you guys have gone this far? How many of you guys have been like in a public place and you put your earbuds in, but you didn't turn them on? Have you got anybody ever been there before? And you're like listening to the person. Okay, I've been there before because there, there's been some situations. I'm like, man, what is going on over there? You know, I'm listening, you know. Uh, but sometimes I, I was, my, my older brother and his family used to live in Oklahoma. And so we would go down and visit them in Oklahoma uh, many times. Uh, and so one of these times I was in a Starbucks in Owasso, Oklahoma, I'm just sitting there having coffee. I'm, no, no one knows me there except for my brother, and I've got a friend or two down there. But, uh, and so I'm sitting in a Starbucks, and as I'm sitting there, my, a friend of mine, he pastors a church in another uh, city in that area. And so I was down there, and all of a sudden, this guy across the room, across a table or two from me, starts to talk about my friend, who is a pastor in another city there in that area. And I'm like... So I'm like, listening, like this guy doesn't know who I am. What's he doing talking about my friend? And so I'm listening and all of a sudden I recognize this person and I recognize the person who's talking. He actually is on staff at the church where my friend is the pastor and he starts to talk. And so I'm listening, like, what, what is somebody going to say in a public place? Uh, he doesn't know who I am. I know who he is. And uh, so he begins to start talking bad about my friend. And he's talking, and it's going, from, it's going from bad to worse to worse. And, and I know my friend really, really well, and I know what he's saying is not true stuff. He's just complaining and talking bad and talk, you know, all this type of stuff. And so I've got, like, my earbuds in, you know, but I'm not really listening to anything. I'm listening to his conversation, you know. And so all of a sudden he starts talking bad about my friend, but then he starts going even further. He starts talking bad about my friend's wife. Okay, so what do you do? Have you guys ever been in a situation like this? Probably not. I'm probably the only one on the planet because God uses these, these situations for me to have sermon illustrations for your benefit. And so, so I'm there. And so what did I do? What do you do in a situation? So I get up in the middle of Starbucks. I go over to the guy. I pull him out of his seat and I punched him right in the, I didn't do any of that, people. 
<laughs> what I did was later on, I went and called my friend. I said, listen, okay, I, I know gossip and all this stuff, but I got my, my loyalty to you, and I want you to know, how you guys know that guy didn't last on staff very long at that place, right? Because here, here's the point of that whole story. This is what Satan does. Satan will come to you, and he will lie to you about God. How many of you guys have ever had that happen before? This is what he did in the garden. He'll lie to you about God, but he will tell the truth to God about you. But he makes sure you're eavesdropping on the conversation. Let me give you an example. It's found, there's an interesting story found in Zechariah chapter 3. And it's a story of Joshua the high priest, and he's up in heaven. Now, this, this starts to unfold in verse 1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. That would be Jesus most of the time in the, script, in the Old Testament. And Satan. So you've got this scene of like a trial set up in heaven. You've got Jesus and then you've got Satan standing on his right hand to accuse him, to accuse Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, the problem with all of that is this, this last scripture. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Don't you know that there are sometimes, if Satan wanted to tell God something about you, and you're standing there, you might have some filth on you sometimes when Satan tries to bring stuff up before God about you. This is what Satan does. He will go to God at times and make sure you're eavesdropping on the conversation and say, remember when they did this? Remember when they did that? Remember how bad, remember the sin this yesterday? They're coming in here and they're, they're, they're worshiping. Some of you guys feel it right now. You were in here in the worship service tonight and all of a sudden you felt condemnation because of something you did this week. You, you felt like, how can I worship freely when I did this? And Satan is there bringing up these accusations saying, hey, remember God when they did this? Remember when they did that? They don't qualify to sit here in this worship service and worship with their, they can't do that because of what they've done. How many of you guys have ever, felt that before. My hand is up. Okay, I'll be the, the first one to raise my hand. In that moment, what happens as Satan actually speaks the truth, quote unquote, about what Joshua had done, he, he implanted this lie just as he was speaking the quote unquote truth. And here's the lie that gets implanted in every single one of us and is implanted here. And here's the lie. I am what I do. I am what I do. Joshua was standing there with filthy garments. That's represented at that moment who he was before God. Ultimately, that's what Satan was laying a case for. I am what I do. Now, this reminds me, my brain works a little bit different sometimes, as you guys know by now. But uh, this reminds me of something I saw on the news this week. It's, it's this crazy story of humans building a human tower. Have you guys saw this this week? Anybody see this? Okay, this is actually, well, since you didn't see it, I will show it to you for your benefit. This is unbelievable. Watch this. It's awesome. Wow, this edition of the Concours de Castells has just started, and we're about to see the first monster of the day, a three of ten with a triple base. And it's going to come from Castellers de Vilafranca. Please pay attention to the silence that right now 15,000 people here in Taracorena Plaza are paying to this tower to this monster as just Albert said this is a three of ten triple base it's the, it would be the first time to see it completed 
in Concours de Castells because until two years ago, seeing this tower completed was really rare. Although the last year and this year, it's become a couple of teams have been able to get a very good command on this 3 of 10, seventh level already in place and seems good. And you have to pay attention to the work of combination with this triple base, the first base, the second base and the auxiliary base, that is the key for supporting that tower. And the pair has already reached its position and it looks like they're gonna succeed, although we still have kind of 20 seconds left. But there's the bending tile. We're just one level away from success. That is the most important moment. There goes the Antoneta, the crowner, one step, two steps, and here we go, the first uh, chief. 10 level tower. And if they don't get nervous, they are very, very likely to succeed completing it. It looks quiet, it looks quiet. They just have to work hard now, and they are they are about to achieve it. Yeah, because the pair is already out of their position, and the tower seems very, very safe. Let's say it again. For the first time, a 10-level tower is going to be completed in the Tarragona Concours de Castells. This is a historic moment, the first of many that we're going to live for sure today. But as you can see, Villafranca supporters are now going crazy because this is a great, very great start. And now you will see the, the happiness that awakes to them. Look, look. Right, for now, it's great to see how they dismantle like this <laughs> spectacular <laughs> triple base. I mean, yeah, yeah, hundreds of people, more than 30 exciting. people on the third base, around 90, 80, 90 people on the second base, and everybody else, countless people on the on the bottom base. And of a story in the Old Testament. How do you guys remember this story? When people decided that they were going to build a tower to God. They decided that out of their own strength, they were going to reach heaven. Now, can you just see those people struggling and all of the human effort going into building this tower? This is a perfect picture of what happens when we buy into the lie, I am what I do. We start to try to, in our own strength, build a way to God. We try to build in our own strength, and we build it off this lie, I am what I do. Without realizing it, a subtle shift begins to happen. Even in seasoned believers, we try to build our way to the favor of God. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, there's still this tendency on the inside of us to try to build our way to the favor of God. We try to end up shaking Satan's accusations with our own accomplishments. We, we, we feel like it's kind of like a race. Like if I can out-accomplish Satan's accusations, then I win. If I can build the tower faster than Satan can tear it down, I win. And we buy into this lie. This lie is so tightly wound into us, guys, that you know when you first meet somebody new, the very, one of the very first things you ask them is what? What do you do? Because what we do is so tied to who we are in our being. And this is what Satan plays off of. I am what I do. Satan's after one of the things that we had, and I say we as humanity had back in the Garden of Eden, and that is confidence before God. You realize that Adam had complete confidence before God, before sin. He had complete confidence. 
He didn't wonder where he stood. He didn't wonder if it was a good day or a bad day. He didn't wonder if he could worship or talk to God or not. He had 100% confidence 100% of the time. What happened when sin came and Satan's accusations came? What happened? He hid because he lost his confidence. Can I just tell you tonight what Satan is after? He's after your confidence before God. And he will get it one of two ways. He will get it through accusations and, let, and make you feel like you have no confidence, or he will get it through your accomplishments and try to get it through your self-confidence. Either way, he's trying to get your confidence away from God. Either to put it on yourself or to take it away altogether. Now, this is a problem, right? Because what, what happens when this happens is we begin to think wrongly. We begin to have a wrong way of thinking. So let's watch. So the I am what I do lie produces one of two wrong mindsets. The first mindset that's wrong, I call the bragger mindset. It's basically, look what I've done. It's like, here's my tower that I'm reaching up to God, or here's my accomplishments, and it's taller than yours. You, you know, you can always find somebody who reads the Bible more than, or less than you do, so it's like, okay, well, see, I've got that one down, or, or somebody who cares about missions, you know, less, or cares about the poor, whatever it is. You can find somebody who isn't as faithful, you know, to church attendance, or whatever your list is, and so we, we have to get there by measuring and by comparison to see who's uh, accomplishing more. You know, for me, it, growing up, it was always this idea of my worth is determined by how much I can produce. Now, let me explain that. I've explained it before, but here I am in my kitchen. I'm remodeling my kitchen. I've torn out my kitchen. It's a mess. Those of you guys who've done a project like this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I, I told some friends of mine, I said, I'm going to get this thing done, completely finished by Thanksgiving. They're like, no way. It's going to be Christmas. I'm like, no, Thanksgiving. No, it's going to be Christmas. Now, something in my flesh rises up and says, Thanksgiving, watch me. You know, how many you guys have something like when somebody challenges you, you know, there's something that says, watch me, I'll prove you wrong. Why? For me, it's when I grew, I grew up in construction and literally what I produced in a day equaled how much value I would get paid. And so that production equals value mindset got lodged down deep into me. And so many of you know what this is like, like what I produce, how much I work, how hard I work, how, how, what my stats are like, whatever it is for you. I, for the longest time, I had trouble receiving gifts from people. And I asked God, I was like, why is this? Why do I have so much trouble receiving gifts? And he explained to me one day that it's because I feel like down deep that I didn't earn that. And so I don't deserve that. Now you can see how this affects relationships. This affects all sorts of things. And so this production equals value, this mindset of this bragger mindset that I am what I do. So watch me accomplish some things. It has damaging results. Now the second wrong mindset is what I call the beggar mindset. So we have the bragger mindset and now we have the beggar mindset. Now Satan would love nothing more for us to just be a beggar. It's just for us to beg, you know, because here's the truth. If, if we're buying into this lie that I am what I do, then we also have to conclude that I'm not what I don't. So I'm not qualified. I'm not perfect. I'm not always faithful. I'm not able to do what I think I'm always able to. I'm not what I don't. And Satan would love for us. There's a, a story in Luke chapter 18. It says, as he drew near Jericho, this is Jesus, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. 
So what does he do? He doesn't have confidence. He just simply said he has confidence to a certain degree, but he doesn't have full confidence because he ends up just crying out and he says, have mercy on me. There's not a lot of confidence in just begging someone to have mercy. Now, fortunately, Jesus does have mercy, but Satan would love nothing more for us to just be sitting there in a beggar mindset. Just hope. See, a beggar, all they can do at best is hope for the mercy of God. Now, we were at the Fall Fest a few weeks ago, and we, we were out there one day, and I know you shouldn't do this, but, but there was this, this homeless-looking guy uh, on the side of the road back behind our little tent area, and so we took a picture, and here's this picture of this homeless guy. It looked like a beggar on the homeless, uh, homeless guy just sitting on the side uh, of the, the park there, and upon co- closer inspection, as we zoomed in, turns out it's me. <laughs> it's, it's me. Yeah, everybody was saying, Sean, you look like a homeless beggar on the side of the road. And uh, as funny as that is, I'm telling you, that is the picture that Satan wants us to, to have on the inside. Okay. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. He wants that mindset on the inside that I'm not what I don't. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm just a worm. I'm just a sinner, barely saved by grace. I have to beg for the mercy of God. These are wrong mindsets, and they are produced out of that, uh, that lie, I am what I do. So if that's the wrong mindset, how can we have confidence before God? What is the right way we need to think? What is the truth? All right, what is the truth? The lie is, I am what I do. Let me give you the truth right now. Okay, this is going to, hopefully, this is foundational for some of you, but I want to remind you about the goodness of God tonight, okay? The lie is, I am what I do. Here's the truth. I am what he's done. I am what he's done. Where do you put your confidence? In what you can do or in what he has done? You see, our confidence should not, it's not about what we do, it's about what he's done. Let's go back to that story with Joshua in heaven, there's Satan, and there's Jesus, and, and Joshua's standing there in filthy clothes. It says in verse 3, it says, now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments, but verse 4 comes along, and the angel said to those who were standing with, before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. This is what Jesus did for us. So I asked the question, what if Satan was telling the truth? Here's the thing about Satan's truth, okay? Satan's truth isn't really true. Because how many of you guys know that partial truth is not truth? Satan tells partial truth. He left out one factor. He left out the Jesus factor. He may remind you of all these things, but he left out partial truth is not truth. And so even his truth is not true (laughs) because he's constantly bringing accusations and condemnation. Here's what I want you to get. Everybody just picture with me. How many of you guys ran track in like high school? Anybody run or anything like that? Play any sport at all? How many of you guys played any sport at all? How many of you guys watch sports? Anybody watch sports? I'm just trying for common ground here, people. I'm trying to find. How many of you guys know what a sport is? Has anybody... All right, picture this with me. Everybody just imagine this with me. I ran track in junior high. It was pitiful, but I ran anyway. And I remember being at a 
a 400-meter relay, and I had one leg of the relay, and I wasn't the fastest kid in the relay, but I figured I'm going to do my part. And we ran and lost, okay? I'll just be honest. There's no Disney ending to this story. We lost. I want you to think about there you are at your track meet or your whatever it is for you, if your swim meet or whatever it was for you, and you need to qualify to go on to the next level, to get to the next round, to get to state, or whatever it is. You're looking around at the competition, and you know they can beat you. You just know, you, just because of their history and their time or whatever. And, and imagine me as a junior hire, sitting there getting ready to run my leg of the 400 meter, and then all of a sudden Usain Bolt comes along. And he's like, uh, hey, hey, Sean, uh, step out. Let, let me run this for you. And uh, he runs my leg. How do you guys know? We probably have a different outcome, wouldn't we, right? Can I just tell you that Jesus ran your qualifying lap? He's like, here, step aside. You're not going to be able to run fast enough. Let me do it. He ran your qualifying lap. You don't even have to step into the, the place. You don't even have to get in the water. You don't even have to do that. Jesus ran your qualifying lap. He qualified us by taking our sin away from us. He qualified us by being perfect for us. He qualified us by giving us right standing before God through Jesus. That's what he did. He qualified us by taking on our status of rejection on himself. He gave us a good standing before God. He ran the lap for us. You you may be saying a little pushback, but Sean, don't I have a sinful nature on the inside of me? Aren't I just just still a sinner, barely saved by grace? What about the grace and mercy of God? Aren't I just a sinner, barely saved by grace? Let me just tell you, no, you are not just a sinner, barely saved by grace. You are a saint who sometimes sins. You, You say, well, don't I have a sinful nature? I mean, if I sin, I still sin. How many of you guys still sin? Anybody? Okay, get your hands up, okay? (laughs) We still sin. Well, if I sin, don't I have to have a sinful nature to sin? Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Did they have a sinful nature before they sinned? All they needed was free will. See, we, we don't have to... Jesus became our righteousness, even though we, we still sin from time to time, sinner is not my identity. Sinner is not who I am. I'm not just a sinner barely saved by grace. The grace of God came and completed everything that needed to be done. I don't have to keep qualifying. Jesus doesn't have to get back up on the cross again just every time. I No, it's not how it works. Jesus ran the qualifying lap for me. I'm not what I do. I am what he's done. Now, we still do some things, right? But we do from grace, not for grace. We do, there's two things at play. There's the finished work of Christ, and then there's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you can't settle the finished work of Christ, the ongoing work won't be a work of the Spirit. It will be a work of the flesh. You have to settle that the work is finished in Christ, and then I work from grace, not for grace. That's how it works. I am forgiven because that's what he's done. I am free because that's what he's done. I am righteous. That's because that's what he has done. Satan is trying to hold you and I to a standard that we used to be. He's trying to hold me to a standard of a sinner. I'm not. I'm not. That's not my identity. 
He's trying to hold me to a standard of what I used to be. It's not even me. Do you realize when the, the scripture says that the old things passed away, behold, all things have become new? I'm a brand new creation. I have brand new spiritual DNA on the inside of me. That means down to the fiber of my spirit. Now, how many of you guys are still working some things out in your soul a little bit, right? And then in your body, right? But my spirit has been made brand new. It reminds me, you know, that when God looks at me, he sees through the lens of Jesus. Do you realize that when God the Father looks at you, he looks at you through the righteousness of Christ? That's your position before God. There is no one on the planet right now who is in line or is closer to Jesus than you are positionally. There is no one on the planet who is in Christ, let me qualify that, who's in Christ who is more righteous than you are. They would have to have more righteousness from Jesus. And Jesus isn't handing out partial righteousness to people. He's handing, he's, he is righteousness. That's what he does. And so Satan keeps trying to come to you based on the person you used to be. It reminds me of this clip I saw from Tim Hawkins. How many of you guys have seen Tim Hawkins before? He's a comedian. Reminds me of this clip that, that he was uh, talking about his wife having dreams about him. So let's watch this real quick clip. Sometimes my wife gets mad at me for behaving wrong in her dreams. That ain't fair. I had a horrible dream last night. You want to hear about it? No, I'm going to tell you anyway. A grizzly bear was chasing me through the woods with his teeth. He was going to eat me. And you did nothing. You just sat there and you didn't do a thing. What was I doing? You were playing poker with a rabbit. That's what you were doing. And that's the thing, you would do something like that. You would play poker with a rabbit while I was being eaten by a bear. Luckily, a giant unicorn came and saved me with his laser horn. That's how I got saved, not by you. Oh, uh, how many of you gentlemen have ever had a moment like that? that that's, that's what I picture. See, it's not even him, and yet he's being held to the standard, right? That's what Satan's trying to do. Not that Satan's being your wife. Uh, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for that one. <laughs> Galatians 2.20 is one of my favorite scriptures. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not the old person that I used to be. Now, that may sound good on paper, and you may nod your head and agree with what I've just said, but let me give you the reality of it. You're only as free as you see. You can have all the head knowledge of what I've just preached to you, but really, you're only as free experientially in, in real life as you see it, as the revelation that you have. There... There was a study done uh, a while ago. I, can't even, I don't even know how long ago, but I heard about this, this study. And they took three monkeys. 
I always love these when they have these like crazy things. Like who thinks of this, right? They took three monkeys, they put them in a cage, they put a pole in the cage, and at the top of the pole, they put bananas at the top. So they put them in there, locked them in there. What are the, what are the monkeys going to do? They all started to run up the pole, climb up the pole to get the bananas. As soon as they got to the top of the pole to get the bananas, they had some sort of spray, water spray or something. They started hosing these, these monkeys trying to get the bananas. And so the monkeys didn't like the water. Eventually they came back down and then the monkeys tried again. And as soon as they would get to the top, they would spray them with the water again. They didn't like that. Eventually the monkeys stopped trying to get the bananas. So they took out one of the monkeys and they replaced it with a new monkey. And so the new monkey says, hey, look, bananas. I don't know if he actually said that or not, but I'm sure he was thinking that. And so he starts to climb up to get the bananas. Well, the two other monkeys who were originally in there, they grab a hold of the new monkey and pull him back down. He tries to go up again. They pull him back down. Pretty soon, the monkey who's never been sprayed quits trying to go up the pole. Eventually, they took out another one of the monkeys. The same thing happened. Eventually, they took out all three original monkeys one by one until there was only three new monkeys who had never been sprayed. Guess what happened? They didn't even try. I just want you to see just from a silly little study like that, this is what happens to us sometimes. The people we hang around, the thoughts we hang around, the, the environments we hang in, the bad theology we take on. Guess what it's doing? It's pulling you down all the time. So that you can walk in an environment. Listen, you could walk into a good environment where there is no danger, where God has great things for you, and guess what? You won't participate. You won't enjoy the fruit that God has for you. Why? Because you're conditioned through all these other things. See, I don't care, I don't care what Jesus, it doesn't matter what Jesus has done for you if you don't have it by revelation and start entering into it experientially. You can, you can know that, that the accusations of Satan should not stick, but listen, if you don't have revelation that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ, guess what? They start sticking even though you're in Christ, because you allow them to. Satan is after your confidence before God. His real purpose is to try to get you to doubt that God and his grace is that good. Can I just tell you that God's grace is that good tonight? God's grace is that good. Let's look at a, a story here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. You know this, many of you do. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus looks at him and he says, but who do you say that I am? How do you guys know it doesn't matter what some say? What it matters is who do, you, who do you know Jesus to be? Who do you know Jesus to be? He says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And listen, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Now let's think about where this is taking place. Many commentators believe this is taking place right there at the base of a large rocky bluff. Just picture it with me, this large rocky bluff, and there's a cliff face with little notches in the cliff. Basically, this was uh, the most pagan place in all of that area. This was the most worldly place. It was the worldwide worship center of the, the pan god. And that, that was like, there was like a cave opening where they believed that the, the spirits would enter and, and come in and out of that at certain times of the year and certain seasons of the year that these spirits from the underworld would come out. It was literally nicknamed or called the gate of Hades or the gate of hell. And, and many people believe this is exactly where Jesus is at as he's talking about this. Most devout Jews would have avoided this place altogether. They performed all sorts of lewd rituals and sexual deviance acts and all sorts of things. They had little idols that they would put everywhere. So Jesus is right there as he's talking about this. And he says, in the gates of hell, he's literally standing there, the gates of hell cannot prevail against this revelation of who Jesus is. What is he saying? He's saying that even the gates of hell, everything that Satan would like to unleash upon this earth, let alone into our lives, cannot stand to the grace and revelation of who Jesus is. He's even going further than that, I believe. He, he said, the church, he said the, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's saying that the church of God that God is building can be built in the darkest of places, even with the darkest of people. In fact, what he's saying is this is who grace is for. It's for the darkest of places and the darkest of people. This is who grace is for. And if grace can prevail there, it can prevail anywhere. And it doesn't matter how dark your life is right now or how many accusations, whether they're true or not, that Satan is throwing at you. I'm telling you, there is no gate of hell that can stand against the grace of heaven. There's nothing that can stand because he's that good. First John 3, 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Why are you letting your heart condemn you? Why are you letting your heart condemn you? Stand before God with confidence. Feed upon the Jesus revelation. You want, to, you want to beat the accusations of Satan? Feed upon the Jesus revelation. Who is Jesus? How big is God's grace? We're going to have the worship team come back up. I believe we're going to have some people get free tonight from this lie, I am what I do. I want you to think about this exchange between Jesus and Peter. He goes up to, to Peter and he says, what? He says, who do people say that I am? And, and they start to say, well, some say this and some say that. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Now, can we reverse that, that conversation for just a moment? I want you to hear Jesus talking to you for just a moment. Can you do that? Maybe even you have to close your eyes to do this and set, shut out all distractions just for a moment. What if that conversation were reversed? And what if... Jesus was standing right there with you. And what if you asked Jesus this question? 
What do people say that I am? And Jesus, he would have said to Peter, he would have said, well, some say you're a fisherman. Some say, I mean, Jesus knew the future. Some say you're a coward. Some say you're a loudmouth. Then I can hear Peter going back to Jesus. But Jesus, who do you say that I am? And Jesus would say, you're a child of God. You are forgiven. You are free. You have right standing before God because of the cross. It's getting ready to happen. Now, can we just personalize it right there? Can you ask Jesus that question? Jesus, what do people say that I am? What what does Satan say that I am? Well, some people might say that you, you screwed up that you've gone down the wrong road, that you screwed up this week, or that you did this or that, or you messed up this part of your life. Now let's go back to Jesus, and let's say, Jesus, but who do you say that I am? Because you know what Jesus says is the only thing that matters. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to say, you are forgiven. You are free. When the Father looks at you, He looks at you through the lens of my righteousness. And he sees your position before him as being in Christ, having right standing, being justified. He sees you through the lens of the finished work. And oh yeah, the Holy Spirit has got some ongoing work to do, but guess what? Your status before God doesn't fluctuate like the stock market's. It doesn't change day by day by this news or by that news. Hebrews 10.35, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You're only as free as you see. Can we just see by faith and ask Jesus to give us that revelation? Just like Peter had a revelation of who Jesus was, that, that Jesus would give us that revelation. See, it doesn't matter what Jesus knows about you until you know it about you. It doesn't matter what I know about somebody until they know it. Let let me give you just an example. I'll tell you a quick story here as we wrap up. When I first became a youth pastor, I I mean barely like two months into becoming a youth pastor, I I was 20 years old and I had to lead a missions trip to Spain. And so I traveled all the way over to Barcelona, Spain, just a young youth pastor, didn't know anything about anything, and took a group of teenagers And as we landed over in Spain, we got a phone call back from one of the teenager's relatives. And this teenage girl, her father had died while mowing the yard. Here she is in Barcelona. She doesn't know that her father's died. I now have this information. I have to go in and tell her that her dad is dead from across the, now she's across the ocean. And as far as she knows in that moment, here's a, here's a weird example, but as far as she knows in that moment, she is just a normal, everything is normal. Her parents are just gonna be there waiting for her when she gets back. But I have a piece of information she doesn't have. 
And she, all of a sudden, I had to reveal that to her. And you can imagine the heartbreak and, and all of a sudden this realization, her whole world changed. Can we just up in that and reverse that for just a little bit? What if, what if right now this revelation hasn't sunk in yet? And what if today that information, that revelation would all of a sudden be revealed to you in such a way that now your whole world is different? Now all of a sudden you aren't trying to accomplish things and build a tower but you can simply rest in the goodness of God. Do you realize what faith is? Most of the time, faith is simply rest in the co- and, and having confidence in God. Faith produces works, but the act of faith, I believe, is resting in who God is. And out of that, works are tied to that. But faith is resting in who God is. You see, when you skip the rest, you go from trying to go from faith to works without the rest, guess what? You lose your confidence. Because you're out here working a lot that you've never rested in who God is. Tonight, I want us to have some rest. We've got to go from Satan's accusations to God's affirmations. You may have to write it on your mirror. You have have to put it on your phone, whatever it is, and just remind yourself that you are forgiven, that you are free. What if this statement was true tonight? What if this statement was true? Listen to this statement. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less than he does right now. What else does unconditional love mean? It's not based on conditions. Does that mean that that, there, that our behavior doesn't matter? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that your position before God isn't going to fluctuate like the stock market because God has already given you his righteousness through Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or to make you love, him love you any less. It's not like Jesus is up there on the cross and he knows everything from the beginning to the end and he's thinking, you know, I really want to die for these people over here, but this guy... I'm really not too happy about dying for this guy. No. He loves us. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're free. You're helped. You have the mind of Christ. God says, I'm present. God says, you are free. God says that I'm your healer. God says, I'm your deliverer. Is that good news to anybody tonight? Amen. Would you guys stand up with me? I I believe that somebody just simply needs to kick Satan in the teeth with this revelation of who Jesus is. Because some of you have felt like, I'm not worthy. I'm just barely saved by grace. I'm just, I don't know if I'm worth. Listen to this quote. I'm going to close up with this. This is like my fourth closing. Okay, so bear with me. If the value of an article is dependent upon the price paid for it, Christ's death made our values skyrocket. Let no one say we are worthless. God is not a foolish speculator. He would never invest in worthless property. If the value is determined by the price paid. How many of you guys know that God in the flesh, that was the price paid for you and I? How valuable are we before God? Lord, we thank you so much that your grace is that good. Lord, we thank you so much that our salvation is not dependent upon our works, 
We can rest in the finished work of Christ. That grace is empowerment. We don't have to work for grace. We work from grace. We thank You that no matter who's come into this room from all different backgrounds and all different activities this week, we know that Your grace is enough. We know that, you're, that You have made us righteous not based on what we have done, but based on what You have done. So Lord, I pray for that revelation to be revealed at a deep level on the inside of each and every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship one more time.